The year was 1968. Malcolm X had been assassinated for three years and Martin Luther King Jr. just over a month when a group of young Harlem activists came together to form The Last Poets. Combining sharp verses with Afro Roots percussion, they quickly went from performing on street corners to releasing highly coveted albums nationwide. They would eventually be regarded as the musical expression of the revolutionary zeitgeist, permeating politically charged communities across the world. Credited as the first group to transform poetry into rap, their influence can be traced to just about every hip-hop group performing today. And nearly 50 years after their inception, their critique and protest of systemic racism in America remains just as relevant. I am your host, Queen God Is, excited to announce that The Last Poets will be appearing at the Brooklyn Folk Festival later this month and honored to have them in the studio tonight for a full hour of revolutionary rhythms and conversation. You do not want to miss this legendary episode of B-Side, so stay tuned. Taking off the mercy of unwritten laws, shell shock papers, making peace with God. Bad junkies not turned into robots to the power of suggestion. We seek an answer and become the question. Afraid we might die before we live, blessed with life, but then afraid to give. We want to be amorous, glamorous, and larger than life. Our cheap illusions become high-priced crime, losing ourselves in time to despair, becoming self-defeatists of unusual flair. We rush towards the beginning that might be the end. We sit in the darkness and try to pretend, pointing fingers while our insides bleed. Committing suicide to fulfill a need. Highly intelligent in a very low way. We have we speak of nothing but have nothing to say. We touch religion. We touch religion and make it seem like hell. But then we touch unholy dreams and wish them well. Faith is replaced with apathy and grief. Indifference is made acceptable and then the belief. Our left eyes all glitter while a right are blind. We submit to this madness and hope it is kind. Distraught women seeking compassion while turning tricks in high woman fashion, finding love at the expense of losing their cool, looking for happiness but finding a fool. Their moments of trust become deceitful charms, one night stands in strangers' arms, carousing with disaster in very high places. This is B-Side. We are here, as the shirt indicates, with the OGs, the Godfathers, the original Godfathers, and the revolution is live. <laughs> Professor Kiorapesi Bra Willie Gosisile, forgive me for any mispronunciation of that, and his poem, Toward a Walk in the Sun, said, what does my hunger have to do with a dot, dot, dot poem? damn poem. The wind you hear is the birth of memory. When the moment hatches in time's womb, there will be no art talk. The only poem you will hear will be the spear point pivoted in the punctured marrow of the villain. The timeless native sun dancing like crazy to the retrieved rhythms of desire fading into memory. And then you all go on to take that sentiment in which the professor is evoking the idea of the perceived last era of poetry, which would soon be taken over by the gun. No more words, but the actions. And your name comes from that. And you said, therefore, from that sentiment, 
We are the last poets of the world. We um, had started this group on May 19th, 1968, and it was just three individuals, myself, David Nelson, and Gallen Kane. David, he went about searching for a name. He read Sterling Brown's poem, Strongman Keep On Coming. He read Margaret Walker's poem, My People. He read a poem by Gwendolyn Brooks. But the poem that really snatched and grabbed our imaginations was Cocosili's poem, Towards a Walk in the Sun. Um, and it was so perfect because I had just seen The Battle of Algiers. The Battle of Algiers was a powerful documentary. And I recall that there was a, a scene where the revolutionary cadre went up to the pimps and said, listen, we're getting ready to have a revolution against the French. You've got to clean up. You've got to get rid of the hoes off the street. So the pimps said, okay, okay, we're going to, we'll, we'll abide. And then they went to the drug dealers and said the same thing. They said, okay, okay, we'll abide. They came back two weeks later, pimps were still pimping, drugs were still being sold, and they killed everybody. I said, that's the last poets. The difference is that we're not going to pull out a gun and shoot you. We're going to make our mouths the gun, mm -hmm. and our words will be the bullets. And we wage war, not against white America, as much as we did ourselves. We were trying to kill niggas because we recognized that that was the critical part of our community that was stopping us from having the unity that we needed. And we still have that problem today. Putting a death to the consciousness and the mentality that was keeping people enslaved. Let's, let's go deeper into that moment. The, way, the reason why I started the show this way, this show is about honor. You are living archives and it is an honor to be able to sit and hear directly from your mouths what was happening. This is not a textbook type situation. When I mentioned the professor, who's known Brow Willie, but I wanted to actually pronounce his, his given name because it's really important Kero to Petsi, at least, yes, absolutely. Kero Petsi Kokosile. And, um, and, and they affectionately, and we love him dearly, they affectionately call him Little Willie because nobody could say, say his name. name. And so it becomes really important to actually attempt to say names because names hold our history, our legacy, our, and, and, exactly. and have honor and value. He's a South African poet, uh, poet laureate, uh, and many other things. What that moment for me in, in learning this about how the last poet's name kind of came to you, it bridges a, a lot of things. It, it bridges Africa with blackness in America. It, it bridges uh, generations. It bridges the beginning of, or the tradition, the griot tradition with the beginnings of hip hop. But it also does something I don't know if a lot of people in the audience know. Kosi Sile, his son is Earl Sweatshirt, who is a rapper uh, born in 1994 mm. and who's a member of the group uh, The Odd Future, who is at the forefront of this new wave of hip hop. So in the moment that you're inspired by the South African poet to get your name and then what you did for hip hop, he literally would give birth to a child that would be a part of the next generation of poets and MCs. In that one moment, we get like such a beautiful full circles. And speaking of names, I would love for each of you to introduce yourselves, tell us the meaning of your name, and where you're from, including any by way of. Yeah, Umar Ben Hassan. It means an Arabic man of blood and strength. From Akron, Ohio. Yeah. Well, you know, from where LeBron is from. <laughs> yeah. I didn't play basketball, I ran track and played football. And um, I was always a very conscious um, young black man. 
in my community more conscious than a whole lot of other you know, black men because I saw how that city and that part of the world, Ohio, had degenerated and destroyed two um, most valuable people to me, my grandfather and my father. My mm -hmm. grandfather, very highly intelligent man, read the Bible, remember, part of the Bible. Preachers would come down and sit down and listen to my father, musician, brilliant musician, read and write music. You know, how I saw how racism and some two parts of his own family just destroyed them. And I used to see my father sit on the back porch crying, and I would tell myself, they ain't gonna get me. Mm. They ain't gonna get me. And they didn't get me, I got me. Give it, it up for Umar me. Ben Hassan, man, get him. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. My name is Baba Don, Baba Tunde. Don is for my father's name. Baba means father or like reverend. And Baba Tunde means father returns. Father, father, father. Name. Yeah, so I'm father all the way through. Yes. That name was given to me when I was uh, initiated, not, not initiated, baptized in the Yoruba uh, tradition. Since then I've been initiated and uh, the other names that I have I don't really you know, present out in public, but my priest name and uh, my Ifa name and Baba Plus, there's a lot of names. But I go by Baba Don, just to make it simple and clear and, and, and make mm -hmm. it like that, you know. When you get to know me better, you'll know my other names. And where are you from? <laughs> I'm from New York, right New here. New York. Harlem. From Harlem. I'm sorry, this is Brooklyn, I'm sorry. That's okay. Today we have all the room for Harlem in Brooklyn, right. so welcome, Baba. And last but not least. My name is Abi Odun Oyewole and I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. And that's the one thing that Umar and I have in common. We're both Buckeyes. Buckeyes. He's mm -hmm. from Akron, I'm from Cincinnati. Buckeyes. And um, Buckeyes. according to the story, I had to get out of Cincinnati when I was three, because mm -hmm. I, I couldn't stand being there for some reason. I guess I must have known I had to come to New York. Um, I got my name when I first, I had a half a day of high school. And on a half a day of high school, my friends and I would, you know, you don't go home because that's just time off. That's just time for you. So we would either go to the village and look at all the freaks or we'd come to Harlem because I was being raised in, I was raised in Queens. And this day, my friends and I came to Harlem and I saw this African looking place and I started acting like I was watching a Tarzan movie. I started saying, Buwana, Buwana, Uga Booga, Uga Booga. And a light skinned guy in full African garb came out front. And he said, well, why don't you come inside and see something else that you might laugh at? And so I came inside, and then he gave me a stone, a white stone, chalky stone in one hand, and a black stone, he told me to hold another. Then he told me to shake and separate, and I did, and I went through this whole process, and then he said, your name is Abi Odun, Oye Wole. And I said, well, my name is Charles Davis. <laughs> I said, they call me Chucky. I said, that's my nickname. He says, no, that's your slave name. I said, I ain't no slave. I mean, I just, I was totally in disagreement with all that stuff. Yeah. And um, he wrote down my name phonetically so I could say it. And then he gave me the meaning. Abiodun is a name given to a child born on a holiday. And its uh, name means he who brings joy into the town. And Oyewole means good fortune follows me. I wasn't familiar with the Yoruba language. So it didn't really sit too well. I didn't really start using my name until the next year. Friends of mine and I were listening to a brother speak, and he said, you know, all you're sitting out there with those American names, proud to be called by your master's name. Just as proud like you were one of his children. 
And I told my boy, I said, I ain't got no master's name. I got an African name. And they said, man, your name is Chucky. Get out of here. They started laughing. I said, you call me Chucky, I'm not going to answer. My name is Abby Odun. Amen. And so I put everybody on freeze until they call me by my name, including my mother. All of the names that I've had in my life have determined who I am. You, for you, and you, for you. We decided to take a look at the beauty you. of ourselves. And you. At this colored skin. For you. At this coarse hair. And you. At these full lips. For you. At this African all inside our and souls. You. Still breathing the for breath of gods and in you. our lungs. Greatness and you. is where for we're you. coming from. And you. For the millions. For the millions. For the millions. For laid in. Lived in. Boycotted it. Picketed. Cursed at. Spit at. Yelled at. Like blacks not where it's at. And we should be satisfied to ride in the back. For the Fane Lou Hamer. And Rosa Parks. For the Ella Bakers. And Asajah Cure. Gwendolyn Brooks, Malcolm's, Martin's, Deacons, and Panthers, James, and Shay, and Kunta Kinte, too. For the means who knew, and for those who've always known, no matter what, truth crushed to the earth shall rise again. No matter how many bullets, prisons, diseases, or death, no one can take our breath away. We are here to stay. No matter how much liquor or crack, nothing can kill the back. That we are a divine creation, started civilizations, built the pyramids and the sphinx, taught the world how to pray and think, and all the inventions we created, we never got credit for, and all the babies we raised, even when our own were ignored. So let's backtrack. Let's go back to 1968. But let's go to May 18th, 1968. So this is the day before Malcolm X's the anniversary of Malcolm X's birthday, three years after he had been assassinated. What I love about you all is that you cannot talk about The Last Poets without talking about Malcolm X. And so I want you to talk about being teenagers. What, what was going through the mind of, of the young men at that time, the teenagers, who were gonna have an opportunity to perform at Marcus Garvey Park in Harlem to be a part of this anniversary celebration? I was scared to death, scared out of my mind. I'm from Queens. And we're going to be in Harlem. I mean, I thought I was, I, I kind of felt like I was going to be on the Apollo stage yeah. and the Sandman was going to come up and, and yeah. hook me off. I mean, I was really intimidated. My family and I would come to Harlem every Sunday for church. I was baptized in Southern Baptist Church, which is on 108th Street between Central Park West and Manhattan Avenue. And I'd go outside and I'm looking at the girls jump double dutch and play hopscotch, and, and I was looking at the sights of Harlem, and I was excited about Harlem. Harlem seemed to be the most arrogant black place I'd ever been. Mm -hmm. Everybody in Harlem seemed like they just were at, on the top of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was an attitude, a certain kind of sassiness, and you didn't see that anywhere else. And I wanted to be a part of this so bad. When they killed Dr. King, I lost my mind. I felt personally insulted by the death of Dr. King. I could have never marched with Dr. King because of his philosophy of turning the other cheek, but, I, but my family revered him, and consequently I had great respect. Mm -hmm. And when they killed him, I called up David Nelson. I said, David, the idea of this collective that you were talking about, we gotta get this thing started. If we don't get this started, man, I'm gonna be a serial killer. I'm gonna start killing crackers, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, 
I put your name down, and I met another poet at Columbia University, and I put his name down. He said, maybe we should meet at my house first so we can have an idea what we're going to do. So we met at his house, and I thought maybe we could sing in the background while somebody did poetry. David couldn't hold no if you handed it to him. And Cain did not have a voice for singing. So I said, okay, how about chanting? I'd seen a chant on television. Howard University students were very disgruntled about their president at the time. His name was Nesbitt. And they were trying to get rid of him. They had an effigy hanging of him. And uh, they were going around this tree singing, are you ready, niggas? You got to be ready. Are you ready, niggas? And so I said, we can go on stage doing that because David had a poem entitled, Are You Ready, Black People? And Cain um, had a poem entitled, Niggas Are Untogether People. And because I knew that we were going to be in Harlem and I was so scared, I did what I do now consciously. <laughs> I came to Harlem and listened to black folks. And at the time, everybody was saying, yo, what's your thing, brother? I said, man, I'm a Black Panther. What's your thing, brother? Oh, I'm a Muslim. And everybody was talking about their thing, and thing took on like a revolutionary pronoun type of meaning. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a poem, what is your thing, brother? Is it a black thing? Will it save black women and children? It was a horrible poem, but it hit all the major points. So we went on stage on May 19th. Before we did anything, the entire park was chanting, are you ready, niggas? Okay. You've got to be ready. So, so that became a thing. Okay. So it was clear we were a group. Okay. We didn't have a name, but we got a gig immediately after that, that particular gig at NYU Loeb Center. I'll right. never forget, that was right away. The next week we were, we were gigging. I want to segue to Umar Ben Hassan to talk about your entry point into the group because you, it came many years later. I saw the brothers uh, at a... Uh, and their college. And I was head of security at that time. <laughs> yeah, I was head of security. So my job was to protect the artists and the women and children. You know, because everybody know, you know, that time my name was Hank, they called me Hank. So, you know, Hank, he'll shoot niggas, so put him on guard. And so, Doom comes up to, uh, comes up to the desk. And I'm saying, yo, brother, uh, you, you know, you gotta check in, man. Let me tell you, you got, oh, man, I'm Mario Doom. You hear that? He was much, the voice is much deeper. I'm Mario Doom. You know, I, I'm from the last port, so I'm from New York. But I said, this ain't New York, this is Ohio, brother. You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta check in. Listen, I'm on the last pause, I'm not checking in. So at that time, I had a 45 and a 38 under my, you know, under my, you know, my jacket, you know. So I just pulled up and said, listen, man, you check in or check out. So he said, okay, I checked in. And, and so the said, team was but born. Then, <laughs> but then, when he got up on stage, he got in front of his domain, he just went on for me. He said, who's that crazy motherfucker? Y'all got on. <laughs> I'll let the game. He'll kill all of us. But when I saw what they did with the poetry and the drums, it just messed me up. So I said, I want to do this. So I told him, we got, said, oh, we cooled out. He said, yeah, man, come on. You, you think you want to come come to, uh, come up to Harlem? We got a, a law call each win. So before I had to go through a little ride in my hometown. But then I finally got up there in uh, the winter of 1969, became the last poet there. But there's one thing I want to make uh, some facts and some truth in it. It's about the women who were backing us at that time. Mm -hmm. It was about the women who were much, just as important as the men as you as I was, as uh, Sala Secure, Finney, and, and, and um, uh, Sonia Sanchez, and Nikki Giovanni. And see, Sonia was, Sonia was down. Sonia was, she ran with the brothers. Because Sonia Sanchez, she hang out with me, Marvin X, and Oscar, we'd well, we go on different poetry spots. And, and then, of course, you know, 
Uh, you always see a, a, a Finney or a Solid they wink at you, you know, you, that's about all you could get to was a wink because you ain't getting nothing else because, see, back then you couldn't run up on them sisters call them bitches or that you could get stabbed to death. Niggas don't know a damn thing about the mind or they'd be right. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas, 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 niggas fuck. Niggas, y'all know niggas, niggas fuck. Niggas, oh niggas, niggas fuck, fuck, fuck. Niggas love the word fuck. They they're so fucking cute. They fuck you around. The first thing they say when it matters, fuck it. You play a little too much of them. They say fuck you. When it's time to TCB niggas and we're fucking try to be nice to them. They fuck over you. Niggas don't realize while they're doing all this fucking, they're getting fucked around. But when they do realize, it's too late. So all niggas. Do it just get niggas, fucked up. Niggas, niggas talk niggas, about niggas, fucking fucking niggas, that fucking this fucking, fucking yours fucking monsters not knowing what niggas, they fucking for. Niggas, Ain't fucking for love and appreciation. Niggas, just fucking to be fucking. Niggas fuck white thighs, black thighs, yellow thighs. Niggas fuck ankles when they went out of thighs. Niggas fuck Linda, Sally, and Sue. And if you don't watch out, niggas will fuck you. Niggas will fuck fuck if it could be fuck. But when it comes to fucking for revolution. Causes. Niggas, niggas, niggas say, fuck revolution. Niggas, 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 niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas, niggas are players. Niggas, Ooh, players. niggas are players. Niggas, niggas play football and niggas, baseball while the white man players. is calling them their balls. Niggas, well, the niggas play, I didn't know if they played with some black guys. Niggas play with white guys. I love that I am the host for this show. <laughs> there will be no control. There is no amount of beeping that could beep out anything that has happened. For parents who are at home cringing, trying to figure out how to share this with your children, who have covered children's ears in their eyes, one thing that we know for certain is that poets, the job of the poet is to speak to the times, to speak to the world in which we live. And so if the language reflects the times, then that's a great entry point to explain this to your children, that when we use language with purpose to reflect the times. That said, let's talk about the power of language. Um, we know that our sister poet in South Africa, her name is uh, Diana Ferris, uh, she wrote a poem that essentially got Sarji Bartman, a South African woman who was from South Africa, taken to Europe, and her body was put on display. Um, this poem by Diana Ferris essentially got them to release the body, the corpse of or what was left of Sarji Bartman and brought back home to South Africa. Let's talk about the power of language and how that shapes what the last poets has well, effectively been doing for well, the past you know, 50 years. I'm going back to that woman thing. My mother was the one who taught me language. She, she's the one who taught me how to read. When I was three and four years old, I stuttered. I, could, I, just, I couldn't get words out. So it was my mother, she just, you know, got in front of me. I think I was three or four years She said, listen, you're gonna start saying this. I am going to speak. She just told me to start saying that. I am going to speak. And before you know it, I was speaking. I mean, language, it's always been about the drum and, and the, uh, the, 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 the uh, conveyor of, of thought, you know. So for me, I mean, you know, coming with listening to Last Poets, that, I, that it was like hearing the voice and the drum, you know, it was like one of the things that just got me like locked in. You know, so you have the language, you know, it got me involved in terms of learning the, uh, the different cultures of drumming at different places, uh, from Asia, from Africa, from South America, et cetera. 
When you're performing in countries that don't have English as their first language, and so they may not necessarily understand all of the things that you're saying, how, what, is the, what is the response of the people? I think it's like the emotional response Absolutely. of what the drum does mm -hmm. for humans, you know. Mm -hmm. So, so people literally directly responding to they the, feel the, the rhythm, they, they can feel the emotion. The it's like, you know, I was asking someone about um, Salif Keita, for example. He's one of my favorites. And I don't know what he's singing about. <laughs> not a, not, I never got a translation ever. <laughs> but I asked another African guy, I said, oh, you, you like Salif? I love Salif, I love Salif. So tell me what he's, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, so the, it's, not the, it's not the words, it's the emotion behind the words. So we have to blend together so that the drum is like a, like put you into a trance mm. and the words carry, can mm. flow across that, 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 uh, that river. And the major thing about human beings, no matter what color you are, we can, pick up, we can pick up each other's emotions. Whether the language is different or what, we can pick up people's emotions, we can pick up their feelings. And that's really what's fucked up when you don't try to do those. You stop yourself from letting some other human being feel your feelings because of your color, your race, your religion, you're fucking yourself up. Mm -hmm. Because you can't hide that, you can't hold it in, it's gonna break out. And if you don't let it break out correctly, it can break out in a very strange, perverted way. Mm -hmm. So, but when we were, uh, we did this big festival in, 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 um, in Denmark, I forget Roskilde. Roskilde. So we go, we had our own tent. So we go into this tent. There's about 10,000 young Danish kids. Some of them are on each other's shoulders. So I said, dude, man, they ain't gonna understand what we said, man. They ain't gonna understand what we said, man. So we got, um, we got to do the poetry, and they got to recite the poetry in English better than we were. And there was another spot, too, we was, um, when we was in Imola, Italy, and all these Italians. And when we got into the poetry, well, you know, Italians, you know, Hannibal came through there, so they had a lot of blood, and so they, Got, got the feeling there, and they were so like, if, if, no matter if, 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 if what's coming out of your mouth is strong and it's real and it's honest and it can touch a human soul, people will get it. Crack, smack, or patty whack, and all the bones from that dog, you can give them right back. If we only knew what we could do, if we only knew what we could do, if we only knew what we could do. We stop fussing and fighting and feeling blue. Just like we cut our hair in an African style. We show rich world treasure every time we smile. Um, as our time with the legendary Last Poets sadly and frustratingly comes to a close for now, fear not. They are accessible and you can watch this and all past episodes of B-Side on our YouTube channel. Thank you so much, Uncle Abiyodun, Umar, and Baba Don. We are so blessed to have had you all with us. Be sure to go see The Last Poets at the Brooklyn Folk Festival on Sunday, April 30th. For more information, visit brooklynfolkfest.com. I am your host, Queen Goddess. Peace, power, and happy National Poetry Month. We love you, Brooklyn. This is madness. Madness. All my dreams. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Kyrell Palmer. For more information about B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, check out brickartsmedia.org slash radio. As they struggle for a free, sweet-smelling breath of life while being choked by the Christian gas, passed by the most reverend, most reverend Bishop Fulton J. Sheen as they sox it to us Madness. in the name of the Lord now. And my, and my realities have turned into a stone figuration. Madness.